I invite you to remain standing as we continue our series of sermons from the seven last words of the cross from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we read from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, these two verses. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sapanthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. We again say a word of welcome and greeting to all of you today. We're certainly thankful for you who are here in the sanctuary as people are returning from spring break. We're grateful for your presence this morning. We, of course, want to say a word of greeting as well to those who are watching online and on television. We're thankful that you would be a part of the service of worship as well. We want to give you the latest update on our paid in full effort. Now, remember, during the season of Lent, we have asked members of this church to be sacrificial in some way to draw closer to God, to think about ways in which you can give up yourself in order to receive something in return. And so part of that effort, of course, is a spiritual practice, but also we are asking individuals and couples and family units to consider giving at least $500 toward our paid in full effort to reduce our debt to zero by Easter. We had a $317,000 debt to begin with. We have brought in so far $91,524, which I think is very well done so far. And the reason for that is many people want to finish their respective spiritual discipline before they give. We just want to make sure it's done by Easter Sunday so on Resurrection Sunday we can celebrate as well the extraordinary achievement of this church. So we hope that you're continuing to practice whatever spiritual discipline it is and to participate fully in this for the one who paid in full for all of us. It has been an extraordinary week at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church for a variety of reasons, and I asked the staff, or quite frankly, I ordered the staff this week to work extra, to work on their days off and do the things that needed to be done for us to be able to achieve what we needed to do to be the church this church always is. And I want to say a word of thanks and appreciation to the staff of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church for going above and beyond over and over again. It makes me proud to work with all of them. But I also want to say an extraordinary word of thanks and appreciation to members of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church for their efforts, to the Altar Guild and our ushers and so many other volunteers who were called upon this week to do what needed to be done for grieving families on several occasions. And the effort paid off. These families who have lost loved ones who grieve deeply were blessed by the effort on the part of this church to minister to those in need in their time of need. So I am grateful and appreciative to the hard work done by so many as a part of this great church. It makes my buttons pop to be able to tell people I am one of the pastors at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. So thank you for that great privilege. 
We also want to say a word of greeting this morning to those in Scott, Arkansas, and Star City, and England, and Augusta. We also want to say a word of greeting as we do each week to those who are in our hospitals who are watching our service on television. We are truly thankful that we can, in some small way, be of benefit to you in your time of need as well. Thank you for being here. We're all grateful. Certainly God is as well. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. Throughout human history, there have been profound questions that humanity has asked that oftentimes have been answered definitively. For example, we all know there was a time in human history when people debated about planet Earth. Was it flat? What did it look like? What if you got to the edge of the Earth? What happens when you fall off? We know that there were those even prior to the time of Jesus Christ who boldly stated that the Earth was round. And now we know, obviously, because of science and technology, that we live on a globe. It is round. We know that definitively. That question has been answered. There also have been those throughout human history who have seen birds in the air and have wondered whether humanity would ever be able to fly freely like a bird. Well, we know at the beginning of the 20th century, the Wright brothers and others prove that to be the case. That question has been answered definitively. Will we ever be able to fly? Yes, we will. We can even fly to the moon. During times of great sickness, people have asked, will we ever be able to come out on the other side of this? Can we eradicate the world of polio and smallpox and other diseases? Is it ever going to happen? And we know because of medicine and science that there are those kinds of conditions and diseases that have been eradicated from planet Earth. There are times when really serious major questions have been asked by humanity and have been clearly answered once and for all. However, there has been one question that humanity has asked since the beginning of our existence that has yet to be fully answered definitively. And that question is, why? It is the question that never goes away. As Jesus Christ is writhing in pain on the cross, crying out to God, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a direct quote from the very beginning of Psalm 22, where the psalmist cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me all alone? Where are you, God? And our Lord Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, writhing in pain, cries out the question that never seems to have a definitive answer, why? 
Now remember, what we believe theologically, if you will, is that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, writhing in pain, he is in the process of taking all of the sin of all of humanity for all of time upon himself and dying to that sin. Remember what Paul said, he became sin who knew no sin for the sake of all of humanity so that we might become the righteousness of God. What that means in that moment and when Jesus takes all of the sin of all of humanity for all of time upon himself is that he would experience the deepest level of emotional and physical and spiritual pain that any human being could ever go through and more all upon himself in one fell swoop, in the blink of an eye, he carries all of that pain. That means, of course, there is nothing that you can go through in life, no pain that you can experience of any kind that he cannot relate to because he has been there even more so than we could ever be. Jesus is crying out to God, my God, my God, why? Now remember, as he is crying out to God, he has taken upon himself all of the pain of all of humanity for all of time and is in the process of dying because of that pain. Now remember, your sin has caused you great pain and caused others great pain, and so has my sin. Now if you think about it, sin isolates us, alienates us, separates us from God. That's what sin does. It removes us from the presence of God. It becomes that barrier between us and God. So can you imagine the kind of sense of abandonment and loneliness and isolation Jesus must have felt when he took upon himself all of your sin that alienated you from God and all of my sin that alienated me from God and all of humanities, and in that moment took it upon himself. No wonder he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me all alone? It is our sin that caused that for Jesus himself. The abandonment of Jesus, that isolation, is incalculable. But it still begs the question, my God, my God, why? It is the question that never goes away. There have been countless times in my own ministry over the years, and I'm an old man. I am 58 years old. I started in active ministry when I was 22. That's six or seven good years ago. And so over those years, I have in a lot of ways experienced a lot of wonderful, joy-filled moments in ministry and some of the most painful, agonizing experiences I think any pastor should go through. I've had the unfortunate duty of being with families when their precious little child died. Don't you think in the moment the question is, my God, my God, why? Such a fair question to ask. I have had to stand next to caskets that were not much bigger 
than a large suitcase. I've had to preside at funeral services for teenagers killed in car accidents and teenagers who took their own lives and people who died unexpectedly and turned the world upside down for their family, not intending to do so, but it just changed everything in an awful way. When I was doing youth ministry, I even had somebody in my youth program who broke into someone's home and killed the woman living there. My God, my God, why? And I have yet, all these years later, to get a sufficient answer. The individuals who ask why, the families who ask why, their pastor who ask why. Because we want things to be logical and rational. We want to be able to make sense out of everything that happens in life. And sometimes there is nothing that is sensical or logical or rational about what has taken place. And so we ask, my God, my God, why? Just like Jesus did. Why? Paul declares in scripture, now we see in a mirror dimly. That means it's not clear. But one day, Paul says, we'll see face to face. One day we will fully know. Well, you know, I got to tell you, that doesn't always comfort me in the moment. What Paul is saying is, we're not going to understand a lot of things that happen in this life, but one day we will. Can you imagine how alienated Jesus must have felt? My sin alienates me from God. And you multiply that by everyone else's sin for all of time. Think about how lonely, isolated, abandoned Jesus must have felt. No wonder he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? But I want you to notice this. Notice what Jesus says, my God, my God. Jesus never calls into question on the cross the existence of God. What Jesus calls into question is the presence of God. And I think some of the times when we have the most profound sense of faith is ironically when we think we don't have faith, when we question God and we ask God, where are you in my time of need? I can't hear you, I can't feel you, I can't see you. I think in moments like that, notice what we do. We so desperately want God to be God that when God doesn't respond in the moment or speak to us in some way, we feel abandoned. But that's because we so desperately believe in God and want God to be known to us. Holiness really is choosing to be faithful despite the evidence of the absence of God in the moment. That's what holiness is all about. It is choosing to believe that somehow when we go through those moments in life where we feel abandoned and we feel alone, and if we are honest with ourselves and we're honest with God, we have all felt that way one time or another. God is absent. God is not speaking. God, I need you. Why aren't you here? I think in moments like that, that's when our faith may be at its deepest level. 
because we so desperately want God to be God for us the way we need God to be for us. A number of years after her death, it has been well chronicled, I read a book about Mother Teresa and her own spiritual struggles. Now, we want to believe that Mother Teresa, throughout her entire life, who lived to be into her mid-80s, was always bending the ear of God and immediately getting a response in return. She was such a holy woman. She had an experience early on that eventually would lead her to become a nun, where she was convinced God spoke emphatically and directly to her. She felt that deep understanding that God was calling her. But as the years went by, Mother Teresa dealt with people who were in the most wretched of conditions, people dying in her arms daily, day after day after day after year after year. And those who were closest to her, including her spiritual advisors, after her death, wrote about the pain she experienced physically, a visceral response to the absence of God in her own life, so she felt. She felt spiritually dry, spiritually empty. And she cried out to God over and over again, day after day, and more often than not, she said she got nothing in return but silence. But notice this. Despite the silence and the spiritual dryness and the sense of alienation from God, dealing with the most wretched and poor of people on planet Earth, Mother Teresa never quit doing what she was doing, believing somehow in all of that God was there even when she couldn't feel God or see God or hear God. Jesus is on the cross, writhing in a level of pain physically that is unimaginable, having already been tortured. And one of the things you will notice in scripture, if you read all four gospel accounts, is that there is maybe a sentence or two about the actual crucifixion. There is no gory detail. It was so horrendous and so awful that even the writers of the gospels just mention it. But they tell us what Jesus said when he was hanging there. The sense of abandonment and isolation and loneliness that at some level, if we are honest, we have all felt in our relationship with our Lord. It's a question that does not go away. My God, my God, why? All of us love others enough that when they are going through an emotional difficulty or some kind of pain, we say in our own way, if I could take that away from the one I love and place it on myself, I would do it in a moment's notice. If there was any way I could do that, I would. In my very first church, one Sunday evening, I was teaching Bible study in the church fellowship hall which was about the size of this pulpit, actually, not much bigger than that, small little country church. 
And Susan and I kind of had a pact. This was before we had cell phones. If you need me, call the church. There's a phone in the fellowship hall. I'll stop Bible study and I'll answer it because it must be something important. So I was teaching Bible study. I was brilliantly exegeting a text, which is a big fancy way of saying I was trying to figure out what the Bible was saying to talk to everybody about it. When the phone rang and I answered the phone, it was Susan. She said, get home right now. Rachel, who at the time, our two-year-old daughter, has pulled the television off on top of herself. And these were in the days when televisions were big boxes. You remember those. John, it, she's broken her leg at least, if, nothing, if not more than that. You got to get home. I stopped Bible study. I got in my car. We lived on the other side of the tracks. As I was going over the tracks, I hit my head on top of the car, knocked myself unconscious for a moment. Then gathered myself, went back home, came in the house. Rachel was crying, of course. Susan was frantic, and we got in the car to go to the hospital. And she was just old enough to be able to talk to us, but she wasn't old enough to understand what was going on. And she was hurting so much, and I remember just thinking, and Susan and I having a conversation, is there some way we can take this pain away from her? Is there some way we can do it? They put this nice little pink cast on her. We cried while they were putting the cast on her. By then, Rachel thought the cast was cool. She was doing just fine. But it was overwhelming for us in the moment. And I remember praying that night, God, is there not some way that that could be my pain and no longer my baby girl's pain? But there's no way. I don't have the capacity, nor do you, to take away the pain from someone we love and place it on ourselves, even though we would do it right away. But Jesus did. And Jesus does. He looks at us and he sees in our life the pain that we have caused and the pain that we have experienced because of our sin. And he said to us in his own way, I love you so much, I'm going to take that away from you and I'm going to place it on myself so that it is my pain and no longer your pain to deal with. But when you do that, billions and billions and trillions of times over with the collective sin of all of humanity for all of time, think about sin isolating us or separating us from God. Think about the isolation and separation and pure loneliness that Jesus must have felt in the moment. No wonder he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm all alone. He would have in that moment experienced more loneliness than all of us put together for all of time. One of the things that the pandemic has done, clearly, is isolate so many people from so many others. And loneliness is counterproductive to who it is God wants us to be. We are a people who are meant to be in community with each other. We thrive off of one another. We need to be around each other in the church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment, wherever it may be. To be alone is incredibly painful. We know what that's like. Many people do even to this day. And people are having psychological issues as a result of being lonely and isolated. 
alienated from the very ones they need to be around. We all have some kind of idea of what this is like to be alone. It is a miserable, painful thing for many people. When I was working on this sermon this week, which was a change for me because I thought I was going to be off this week. So in the process of trying to reorient my way of thinking, as I was working on this sermon this week and thinking about loneliness, immediately I had a visceral response to a memory in high school, 40 years ago, plus. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was a quarterback on the football team. We lived in a small town. I was a big fish in a small pond. I thought I was somebody. And my dad, who was a United Methodist pastor, in the middle of the school year got a call from the bishop. You're moving from this little bitty town to the big city. Suddenly, I went from a school that had about 60 in my class to a school that had about 800 in my class. And I moved in the middle of the year along with my siblings. It was a real struggle for me. The new high school I went to was like a college campus. There were buildings all over the place. We had to leave one building, walk across campus to go to another building. I did that all alone. I didn't have any friends. I would sit in the class, try to strike up a conversation, but it was the middle of the school year and these are high school kids and they've already got their friends and their groups and I just sat by myself. At lunch every day, I sat at a table all alone. And in those days, the lunch hour was an hour. It was never ending for me. I sat all alone, eating my sandwich, talking to no one. And after having done that for a few months, my parents decided that I needed a puppy dog as a companion. They felt so sorry for me, and I'm sure I milked it for all it's worth. But I remember finally making a decision that the pain of eating lunch at high school all alone is so real for me that I'm not going to the cafeteria. So when my class let out to go to lunch, I went to my next class, which was an hour later. And every day I did the same thing all alone. I went to the candy machine and I got a Tootsie Roll. And I sat next to the door all alone in a hallway with the lights out, eating my Tootsie Roll until that hour was up. It was never ending. I was the only kid in high school who wanted class to start. I just was so lonely. So when I was thinking about that this week, I mean, I had a physical response thinking about the pain of being so lonely at a time in my life when I was so vulnerable and I desperately wanted a friend. I had no one. And it hurt. Many of us know what that's like. So in preparing this sermon and thinking about that and having a visceral response, I thought to myself, I cannot even begin to calculate in my own mind mathematically what it is Jesus must have felt when your sin and my sin were placed upon him and because that sin alienates us from God, separates us from God, he experienced that all at once from all of us 
Can you imagine, and you cannot, the sense of loneliness he must have felt? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I'll tell you why. There is an answer. Because he loves us that much. He loves us enough to take away our sin, place it on himself, and know the consequences of that. Loneliness, isolation, alienation, emptiness. My God, my God, why? I'll tell you why, definitively. Because Jesus Christ loves you, and he loves me. That's why. Hallelujah. Amen.